All right, everybody, I have a very special guest today on the Fight Freaks Unite podcast. I am joined by none other than now, not the two-belt unified welterweight champion, but the three-belt unified welterweight champion, Errol Spence Jr., coming off of a spectacular performance Saturday night in your 10th-round knockout victory against Organis Ugas. Errol, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Let me start by saying this: this is this has been something I thought about since the end of the fight. You you win the fight, you do your press conference, you probably have a nice little relaxation with your friends and family. Now it's a couple of days later. Are you back doing farm work yet? Uh yeah. <laughs> I mean, the next day I was uh, feeding the chickens and stuff like taking on the horses. I. So, I it never stops. I did enjoy watching you uh, become Cowboy Errol Spence during the uh, during the uh, All, All Access series on Showtime. I thought that was a nice, a, a different side of a boxer and an athlete that we usually see of you uh, working the working the farm. Um, so, okay, in all, in, in a more serious uh, note related to the fight, I want to know from from your perspective. I know what I think. I know what a lot of the fans think because I've seen a lot of the comments on uh, social media and. And uh, and that, things along those lines, but what kind of statement do you think you made with that performance in taking a guy uh, who with a, with a lot of regard from from a lot of fans and press and and not just winning the fight but doing it in extremely dominating knockout fashion? What kind of statement do you think you made? Uh, I think I made a, I made a good statement. Just I mean, finding a guy of that type of pedigree and. He's hot off a off a, a great win against Pacquiao, so he has a lot of confidence. And for myself to come off a seventeen month layoff, yeah, and go right at the one of the top guys at one hundred forty seven pounds, and defeating him as as good as I did, I, I, I left a huge statement. You're you're sort of cut from a different cloth. It feels like to me in the sense that. Not everybody, but a lot of fighters coming off of the layoff, and it's other than the Garcia fight, it's really like an, an even a more extended layoff that they might have opted for a sort of I'm not saying like a complete nobody, but maybe not somebody of the caliber of Anugas. What what is in your DNA that made you decide? You know what? Forget about tune ups. Forget about you know a regular opponent, but give me a guy with a title. Give me an elite guy. Give me a guy coming off a huge victory against Manny Pacquiao. Um, that's just showing that, you know, I truly believe in myself a hundred percent. And that, you know, I <clears throat> that I believe my abilities I come off a long layoff and go straight at one of the top guys and and even feel like even if I have a a, a B plus or a B type of performance, you know, I still be able to, you know, defeat those guys or I'm gonna think of a of how I can beat those guys. So even though I might not be at my best, I feel like I can still beat them. Uh, did you feel like you were at your best against Ugas? Um, a little bit, I think. A little bit of, of uh, rain rust. And I just felt like I wasn't as sharp as I wanted to be. I think that's probably hard for those of us mere mortals and non-boxers to understand because from the outside looking in, it's sort of, other than that little scrape there in round six, which we'll get to in a minute, but other than that, it it seemed to me like you're as sharp as I've seen you, and I've watched pretty much, not pretty much, I've covered your entire 
professional career. That that seems about as sharp as Errol Spence I've seen. If you weren't as sharp as ever, what fight were you sharper in than you were against than you were against Ugas? Um, with the Ugas fight, I, I guess I was struggling internally. <laughs> I guess in the ring because it was a lot of times where. Either I had to force myself to throw or, like, I was just off of hair. And, you know, I kind of felt it would fit myself, but, you know, I guess everybody else, you know, I looked good and I did good, but. So is, know, was, is there a fight you feel like you were better than? And you've had a lot of good, you had a lot of good, obviously, quality performances, but what one do you feel like was actually better than how you fought against uh, Ugas? Um, I would say probably. The Lamont Payson fight, I feel like I did better. Then the Ugas fight, um, I feel like the Algeria fight, I did better. You're going back a while, obviously. Obviously, that's even before yeah. you had won your first yeah. world championship. Yeah. Okay. I just felt, I don't know, I just felt off this fight. Even though I mean, everybody that I talked to said, you know, I did super great, but I felt off. All right, so you got to tell me what the heck happened in round six, and that, that, that's the round where you, you lost your mouthpiece and you kind of got nailed and went into the ropes and looked like for at least for a couple of seconds you might be in a little bit of trouble, but obviously bounced back in a very ferocious fashion. Yeah, I mean it was just a last, just I mean a, a rookie mistake. Maybe I've been sparring too long, and, <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, that was just a super rookie mistake on my part. What did you do? You kind of looked down at the mat with your mouthpiece? I, I heard him say stop and then say stop again twice. And then and I, I wasn't, you know, a boxer, especially with my experience knows. I mean, you're not going to drop your hands and mm -hmm. then you just turn around. You know, you keep your hands up all the time to protect yourself all the time. Or wait for the ref to jump all the way in. But I just dropped my hands at that instant and just looked at my mouth, looked, looking for my mouthpiece. <laughs> <laughs> so from my perspective, it looked like because he did hit you with a punch and you did careen off the ropes, and obviously if the ropes were not there, you would have fallen down, uh, that in boxing rules, that should have been ruled a knockdown. Have you gone back and looked at the replay, and what were your thoughts about that, that, that the referee could have certainly called a knockdown in that situation? Um... My thought was, I mean, it didn't matter anyway. Cause, <laughs> I mean, it just would have probably made me more exertive if he'd have caused a knockdown. So, I mean, I feel like the same result would have happened, and I probably would have been drawing my, being super more exertive because they caused that knockdown. So, and probably would have knocked his knock. His loss would have happened a lot sooner. Okay. Out of nightmare. Now, the reason why this fight uh, was the first fight for you in, in a number of months, you know, what, almost, what, 19 months, I think it was, something like that, that because you had the eye situation that came up right before you were supposed to fight Manny Pacquiao, who, who then beat, he then beat as a replacement for you. Uh, did you have any issues in the eye, with the eye in the fight? Does it feel perfect? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I didn't. I think about it not once, and it's just like nothing happened to bother me. I mean, I've been sparring after my surgery for the longest, mm -hmm. so I mean, it's just normal sparring, especially you hitting it. 
and everything. So I didn't have any worries to get, get in the ring. So for the person that doesn't know like every detail about your career and was just watching the fight, and you told that person, Errol Spence, this guy, this champion that's dominating this fight that wins by a 10th round knockout. By the way, at the end of 2019, he was in a really terrible car accident, was off for quite a while, came back, had one fight, looked pretty good against Danny Garcia, then ended up having another very long layoff, even though he went through another training camp because he had a detached retina and had surgery. And so he's in his only second fight since the end of 2019. But yet you look like as, as good as you've ever looked. Do you feel like you're back to, or better than, let's say, what you were when you were, you know, doing the fights that you just mentioned, whether it was, you know, your defenses against Peterson, the wipeout against Ocampo, Mikey Garcia shutout, you know, a terrific fight against Sean Porter. You know, are you, are you, at, are you at that same level or better now, even though you've been through these different physical issues? Uh, I feel like I'm back, and, you know, I'm, I'm better because I'm not easily distracted. I, I used to be, so I feel like I'm better because I'm um, just more mature, and, you know, know that this is a, you know, a 24-7 grind, 365, you know, so this is this is our year. Are, really, any, any days off, so I feel like I'm a lot better, especially, you know, mentally. And so now, of course, the big question is, what is next for you? You made it very clear. I was happy to see that boxing fans around the world were happy to hear your comments that you want Terrence Crawford next. He, of course, within sec, he was tweeting live tweets during your fight, you know, giving his opinion about the match. And of course, afterwards he said, no more sides of the streets, time for the real fight. And so when one thing I have learned in a long time of covering boxing is when you have two fighters who really want to fight each other. And on top of it, it's a fight that the public wants to see. There really shouldn't be anything to keep it from happening. I mean, I, you know, it's, I could, there's not too many when both sides say, let's get this done. Um, what is your perspective about that? In other words, how, how likely do you think it is? I know you want it. I feel like he wants it. How, how, how likely are we going to get this? The fans want to know. Um, I think it's likely. I think it's, it's, um, it's a guarantee to happen. I mean, they've been and talks about it before before I even follow God. So, I mean, it's definitely in the works, and I, and I think it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen this year. So that is, you say, a guarantee that we can look forward to, even though it's not done yet, that big fight sometime before the end of this year between you guys? I think so. It's, I mean, it's now never. I don't see any other fight that's, I mean, more appealing to to this one, so for I mean, you or for you or for him, right? Huh? For for you or for him, in other words. Oh yeah, for for, for me and for him, like it's now the fight before he fought Sean Porter, and that fight got made. A lot was made of the fact that uh, Crawford and Porter have been friendly for a number of years. They go back, you know, a long, long time, and that they would speak on the phone about the ways in which they could get the fight done. And even though they certainly competed and tried to, you know, beat each other up in the ring that night, you know, they, they were uh, friendly guys and, uh, and, and worked towards making the match happen. I wonder, do you have any kind of, I know you've met him, obviously, you've seen him at fights, you guys have jawed back and forth a little bit, but what kind of relationship have you had with Crawford in the past? 
Can we you... end up ain't not really no relationship there. I mean, we got each other number. We, I mean, we talked before, things like that, but there's no relationship. But could would you feel comfortable, or me, I don't know if maybe he would feel comfortable, like calling each other on the phone and saying, you know, in a in a professional manner, not maybe best buddies, but hey, what what do we have to do to 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 get this big event? Because it's a big event for your career and your bank account, and it's a big event for his career and his bank account, and for boxing. Well, I mean, I feel like it's, it's going to get made. I mean, there's no need for me and him to talk. I feel like it's going to get made regardless. And when you say that, Errol, how do you mean? Do you go to Al Heyman, for example, uh, or to Tom Brown or somebody and say, hey, listen, go make this fight. Come, you know, Let me know what, what we can do and get it done. Like you, you tell them what you want, and then they go and see what they can do. How does that work? Yeah, yeah I already, I already stated what I want, so it's gonna, it's gonna get done. All right, fight fans, WBC heavyweight title fight coming on Saturday with Tyson Fury taking on Dillian White, the first title defense for the Gypsy King in the UK ever. It's gonna be so much interest in this fight, and if you're looking to wager on Fury versus White in the fights this weekend, or really any weekend coming up. Do it with our friends at BetUS. They are America's favorite sports book. They've been doing this for almost three decades now. You want to take advantage of an offer that we have. They've got great lines. They've got round props. They've got parlays. They've got anything you want to utilize betting, not only just this weekend, but whenever on whatever sport. And our offer is this. Use our promo code BFW22. BFW22 for Big Fight Weekend, and you get a 125% match bonus on your initial sign-up. If you're a first-time wagerer making a first-time deposit, put that promo code in, and automatically you're going to get 125% matched on your initial deposit. Put $100 in, that means you're going to get $125 more to gamble with. Do the same thing with $200. Now you got $250 to gamble with and so on, all the way up to $1,000 on the initial match bonus with our promo code BFW22. So again, that is all part of what they're doing at BetUS. Your bets are 100% guaranteed. The payouts are fast. If you want to take advantage of the wagering this weekend, do it with our friends at BetUS. Go to BetUS.com. Go to the BetUS app. And remember our promo code. It's BFW22 for you to get a 125% match bonus on the initial sign-up. First-time users, get in. Use our promo code BFW22 for that match bonus savings. You bet, you win, you get paid with BetUS. Have you? Have you? Okay, no, and I'm glad to hear that. But I'm just trying to see how would that, what the mechanism by way that how that happens. Have you like literally since the fight with uh, Ugas had a, any kind of conversation with with Al and expressed to him your feelings about this and what you'd like to have him try to do? Oh yeah, I mean I had conversations about Terrence before the Ugas fight, so I mean So can you Tell me how that conversation went. You say, Hey Al, it's Errol and then what? Talk about what's on the horizon. I mean, I told him what I wanted and he basically showed me He's going to get it done, so. 
And it feels like a, a I'm not saying it's easy to get done because these kinds of fights are no matter what are never easy, but it feels easier because whatever issues there may have been, the comp, you know, they were able to work with Top Rank on Wilder Fury. They were able to make a deal to do the the fight between Sean Porter and Crawford. But at this point, he is a, you know, Terrence is a free agent in terms of his promotion and his TV. So do you feel like that is something that is going to be of, of, uh, assistance in getting a deal done? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just think, you know, I mean, you got people where I am that my people know, so, I mean, that my people didn't work with years before, so, I mean, it's definitely going to get done. I mean, I've been assured of it, so, you know, they never lied to me before, so, I think it's, it's definitely going to get done. And the question, of course, that always comes up in these types of negotiations is people, you know, they argue about everything, but obviously the main thing they argue about is I want 50%, I want 60%, I want 70%, whatever it is. Do you think that there's a, a blueprint where you can be satisfied with your compensation and that he can feel satisfied with what he's going to get also? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's negotiation and, and other things that go on in there, so, I mean, it, it definitely can come over to It's a fight, that, fight that's in uh, super high demand, you know, celebrities, you know, um, regular sports people, you know, casual boxing fans. Oh, yeah. It's a fight, you know, everybody wants to see, and the who's who's wants to see, so, I feel like it's a fight that's definitely in demand, and it can... It'll definitely be made where both camps are, you know, more than satisfied. And so I'm going to assume that because you're so positive, you're starting to get me excited, <laughs> even though I'm very cynical about these things over the years. Uh, when you get in the ring, I mean, my perspective has been, it's a really outstanding fight. I mean, you guys are both at the top of your game. You're both undefeated. You're both champions. It's for undisputed, which has never happened in the welterweight division in terms of the four belt era. So a couple things about that. Number one, how did you? What's like your thought about how the fight goes? Is it's gonna? It's, I can't fathom. It's not a a fight that fans will enjoy in terms of entertainment value. Your thoughts about that? First of all, uh, you know, I think it it, it could be. A, I mean, I just think it's, it could it could be a great fight, skill wise, talent wise. You know, I I think is is right there to be. It'd be a great fight, like a Ray Leonard Hearns. Took the words right out of my mouth. Or, you know, Ray Leonard Hagler. So I think, you know, it can be a, you know, a great fight, terrific Alicia Clark fight that, you know, old school boxing fans, you know, would definitely enjoy. And how big of a deal is it for you to be able to, you know, I've seen like the things you put on Instagram and you've you made the point and I think it's lost on some people. When you won the welterweight title in the first time against Kell Brook, the IBF title, you went to his hometown, you took the title from the champion. When you unified against Sean Porter, you took the WBC title from him. He was the reigning champion. There was no vacant title. When you beat Dennis Ugas for the WBA title, you took that from the reigning champion who was coming off the win over Pacquiao. In other words, you didn't go win a couple of unified belts in the same fight. You didn't go and fight for vacant titles. You checked off one champion after another. And now Terrence Crawford, if you beat him, he's the WBO champion. You win all four belts in four separate fights against four reigning champions, which is even a bigger deal, it seems to me, than 
even the very difficult and, and, and impressive thing to become an undisputed champion in the four belt era. W- what is your opinion about how you've done it? One by one by one by one. I think that says a lot. And, uh, and it says a lot to you just my persistence and, and, you know, knowing what I want and going for it. Cause, I mean, it's a lot of times where I could have, you know, detoured and did something different, but, and I stayed at what I wanted to do, and regardless of what came up, I went after it. And I feel like a lot of a lot of the boxers not, you know, going about becoming on the speed of that way. They're not going to be not just, you know, fighting for a packing belt or Joe Blow has the belt. You know, these are quality welterweights that had the belt that I, I defeated and uh, won their belt. So I feel like a lot of fighters, not doing that and um you know it's more of a you know old school way just you know pounding the pavement and how um big of a deal would it be for you to become the first undisputed welterweight champion in the four belt era now crawford already has been the undisputed champion in the four belt era in the junior welterweight division that was a big deal uh but what would it mean to you and he has an opportunity against you if the fight happens to become the first ever uh, boxer to be the undisputed champion in the, on the male side of the, the sport in two weight classes. But what is what would it mean for you to make that kind of history, especially in a weight class like welterweights, which is so deep uh, over the years and so rich in history? Um, sure, there have been lots, but like it always been you know great welterweights at 147 pounds, and I feel like that's why nobody became yeah you know, undisputed welterweight because always been you know a stacked weight class with. Guys that can really fight. And uh, just the names that have been in Westwood, I feel like it'd be huge, especially, so always special becoming the first to do something. So that would be, you know, a huge thing on my resume to become the first undisputed Westway champion of the world. And how do you think, I know you think you beat him, of course. How do you think you beat him? Is it is it a, a hard, tough fight? Do you knock him out? Uh does it go into the late rounds? Does it go to the distance uh, to the judges? Like in your mind, I'm sure you've thought about it because you're talking about it. Uh, how do you perceive the the way that it would unfold? Um, I think it, it could be either a tough fight or you know I end up catching him with a good shot. But you know, I think it, it's in two ways. It, it, either it's a tough fight or I catch him with a good shot and put him down. And I will. I will ask in terms of this fight, just to, to clarify for everybody that may be listening, in your heart, w- what are the percentages in your heart of that this fight actually occurs and then by the end of this year? See, it got to be. <laughs> yeah, but in this year, it's either now or never, so, I mean. I, I don't know if you remember this. Before you fought Danny Garcia, we did an interview I was writing a piece for the Ring magazine, and you told me in that interview that you could never leave the welterweight division without fighting Crawford first because that was your legacy fight, that you would feel unfulfilled as a champion if you ended up going to the junior middleweight division and that fight didn't happen. Do you still feel that way? Uh, yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's a fight that what was one, I mean, we're the best in the division, so... It'll be a shame for us, you know, not to fight each other. So I feel like, you know, just for the history of boxing and, 
Top box has always been. I mean, we it's a must. You know, we fight each other. We should. Well, I'm number one, and he's number two. It's <laughs> weights, you know, in the world. So, like, it has to happen. Both undefeated, you know, undisputed. Both of us can do that. I mean, why not? So, you know, yeah, I, I would definitely feel unfulfilled, especially if I know it can't happen. And so I feel like we can just make it happen. But I feel like it's definitely going to happen. Well, I'll let that be the last word, that you feel like it's definitely going to happen. I think boxing fans will be so thrilled. I know uh, myself as a journalist and, and the other person that covers boxing would be so thrilled. And let's uh, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope this happens. Errol, thank you very, very much uh, for doing this today. We uh, really appreciate it. Thank you.